Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Robin Waite. And it's such a powerful concept. So I, I always encourage business owners to launch and fail and fail fast because you get the feedback, you start those conversations off. People can see as well, you know, what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then they can be bought into that mission and go on that journey with you. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every Monday I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new, then take a second to subscribe through your player app. And while you're listening, join our Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur show. My name's Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by incredible people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, take a second right now to subscribe and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to hit the new follow option in the top right, otherwise you won't get notified when there's a new episode. So this week I'm really excited to welcome Robin Waite from Fearless Business Coaching. Robin, welcome to the show. Hey Bob's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. So... Before I start rambling, for the guest who doesn't know who you are, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Yeah, of course. Thank you. So, um, so I'm well. I'm physically based in the Cotswolds in the southwest of the UK. Uh, if you think um, sort of uh, chocolate box like cottages, that's exactly where I'm rolling countryside. Um, in terms of uh, what I do, so I'm a husband, um, a father. I've got two beautiful um, daughters who are seven and five. And then in my spare time, I'm a business coach. So we help uh, other coaches, consultants and freelancers to essentially, you know, all of of our clients tend to be very bright people. Uh, They get amazing results for their clients, but they seem to be working all the hours under the sun and then scratch their heads at the end of the month wondering, where's all the money that I should be earning? So (laughs) we help our clients to uh, slow down, create a little bit of space for themselves and then confidently charge more for the, the product or service it is that they're delivering to their clients. Um, and we, we do that in a, a painless way as we possibly can, but sometimes it does require a bit of tough love as well. I think the thing that intrigued me when I first came across your stuff was the fearless side of things, because I think a lot of people underestimate fear. It's closely tied to this idea of a comfort zone, that there's what's normal will only sort of take you so far. And anybody that's achieved extraordinary things, and we all want that in our business, has to do extraordinary things. And that requires us to move beyond what's normal because doing normal just gets you normal, but you don't start a business because you want normal. So I'm curious when you branded around the sort of fearless business coaching side of things, what was your thought process there? Why fearless as opposed to all the other things you could have chosen? Yes, such a great question. Um, So, well, first of all, I think a lot of people mistake the word fearless, like you've alluded to, for the word reckless. And actually, it's 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 kind of completely the opposite there. Mm. Being fearless actually is, um, in business especially, is about fearing the things in business ever so slightly less that are going to stop you from achieving your goals. And I think that, that... uh, you know, back in back in the days when we used to go and fetch water on the plains of Africa, there were real things to be afraid of, um, you know, lions and uh, crocodiles and hippos and things like that. But actually, the reality is in business, you know, there isn't a lot to fear. I mean, but a lot of people kind of, um, you know, build up in their mind around 
you know, simple things like standing up and doing a 60 second pitch at a networking meeting um, or maybe charging a bit more money for their products or services. And that, that absolutely petrifies them and it immediately creates fight, flight and freeze. The reality is though in business, you might lose a bit of face if you do something silly or daft or you might lose a bit of money. And the reality of both those is neither is actually that bad. But where, where the, the true uh, sort of uh, where I kind of really kind of then embed the identity of um, fearless is actually um, it's down to a couple of my person uh, my sort of pastimes. So um, I'm a keen I'm not I'm a keen surfer. I'm not particularly good, but I'm a very keen surfer, and I've surfed 15 foot waves in Morocco and nearly killed myself. Uh, that was kind of a bit of a, an accident, but it was a really sort of a life-changing moment for me I won't give you the bore you with the full story um I'm a keen cyclist I've been down hills at over 50 miles an hour on my my on basically a push bike so there is this element of like bringing fearlessness into my sort of personal life as well and so when when I spoke to my um my branding person is an amazing lady called Satna Piru and she's got a great book as well um all about her branding process um, she was like, you need to bring in some of that personal aspect of your life into your into your business brand because it's really powerful. And the, the word fearless, actually, funny enough, it, it, um, I was doing a talk. So originally I was Robin Waite business coach, which was a bit dull. And I was doing a talk about four years ago and somebody said to me, I, I think I said that statement, you know, there's nothing to fear in business. You need to fear the things in business ever so slightly less. And literally somebody in the audience shouted out, you're the fearless business coach. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of really sums up, you know, what I'm about, how I want my clients to sort of think about business and, and the way that they sort of project themselves out into the business world. So, yeah, so there's quite a lot of sort of, as you picked up there, there's a lot sort of wrapped up in that word fearless. I think what you've done with it, and I don't want to sort of go too deep on this, but it does set a beacon at a very specific frequency that's going to attract a very specific kind of person. And and really, that's the essence of branding. If you want to strongly attract anybody, you're going to have to send out signals that they can actually see. And the, the fearless business coach and, and everything that goes around it, for me, it does speak to an awful lot of the things that actually prevent people from moving forwards. You might be great at what you do, but I think, you know what it is? A lot of the time, I work exclusively with business owners and I have done for 20 years. And it's always surprised me that some people, even though they're maybe not so smart, they're maybe not the most skilled, for some reason they manage to build incredible businesses. And yet other people who are far more highly skilled, overtly more competent, um, they just seem to hit a wall. And it's as though there's a success barometer in their in their brain that every time they get to a certain level of success and it looks like they're going to push beyond it, something internally just pulls them back again. And it takes a force of will or... I mean, you tell me, what does it take to move beyond that? Well, there's there's a couple of really obvious examples out there in the real world of exactly what you just described. So um, take... Um, uh, um, Oh, what's his name? I've forgotten his name now. Jamie, uh, the cook, the chef, Jamie. Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver. That's the one. Thank you, Bob. Um, Jamie Oliver. Most chefs look at him, you know, and go, he's a rubbish chef. But what he's done from a personal branding perspective is, um, you know, he's incredibly good at inspiring people. He's got this energy that a lot of the chefs don't have. It's a very positive energy. He's there for, to create change. And he's just gone full force with his books, with his uh, restaurants, which sadly, you know, suffered a couple of years ago. 
um, and things like that. And he's built this amazing like personal brand where where most chefs in the industry kind of look down on him because actually he's he's not what they would consider to be one of the best chefs. But what he has done is he's inspired millions of people to start cooking from home and be creative with the recipes which they use. Another example of this, Joe Wicks, you know, uh, really came to the, the forefront during the pandemic when he was doing his, um, you know, uh, living room um, gym sessions for sort of kids and things like that. And all the parents who kind of, you know, forcefully kind of, you know, having to jump around their front room and things. But again, you ask a personal trainer what they think of Joe Wicks and they all scoff. They're all like, he's, he's, the, mo- he's the worst personal trainer on this planet. But again, <laughs> look at what he's done from a branding perspective, from a... Um, you know, from a from a marketing and sales perspective, he's absolutely nailed it. But it's because he brings this right sort of energy. He's not worried about other people judging him. He just want he's got this mission which he's on, the same as Jamie Oliver, to inspire people to start doing more of something. You know, uh, with Jamie Oliver, it's 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 cooking. You know, and and eating healthily. With Joe Wicks, it's about being healthy and movement and exercise. You know, and I I that I I really I I, I love that sort of thing. And I I think what a, you know, we can play it safe and worry about what other people are going to think of us, or consequently, you know, the opposite side of that is we are, are fearless with what we're doing. We, you know, we 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 have to stand by our purpose and our mission and push on with it, irrespective of those sort of naysayers and the people who are kind of knocking us back. You know, the negative people. And I think when you can kind of cut through that, I mean, the the, the truth is, Bob. Like, I, I say something slightly controversial here. I think sometimes sometimes I think there's a majority of people who start up a business thinking somehow it's going to be easy they do it for the wrong reasons i.e just to make money and um, they're not willing to push themselves outside their comfort zone and lo and behold they they don't make much success you know progress or or gain much success from it um, because they're not willing to kind of break the mold and the one the people you see are the most successful I mean look at somebody like Elon Musk I mean that that I mean people think he's a bit nuts but look at what he's achieved you know in it all of the money and time it took for nasa to put rockets into space and he's done it in a third of the time you know starting from scratch um you know with with barely any money or funds um it, it's just absolutely incredible and he's the sort of guy who's just like i don't, don't kind of i mean I don't, there's a cost obviously if we fail if you send rocket ships up and then they crash there's obviously a massive cost to that but he's like i'm going to do it anyway and I think we need business owners need to think more like that. I'm just going to give it a go, irrespective of how ridiculous everybody thinks my idea is. I think what I really like listening to that is, yes, there are negative consequences. But the examples of Jamie Oliver and Joe Wicks, and I apologize to the US audience if you don't know who they are, Google it. They're people who quite clearly are focused on the positive consequences. The negative consequences, they're there anyway. But the truth is, if you do what other people haven't done, you'll get what other people haven't got. And yeah, it comes down to vision at the end of the day. And I think really that brings me to what you were talking about. Lots of people start a business to get a job, but actually you can do much more than that if you bring in a little bit of vision and a vision that genuinely excites you, inspires you, then you'll start doing the things that require a little bit of courage and achieving what other people haven't because most people won't cross that divide. And I think it's easier to cross than most people appreciate. 
yeah, hundred percent. And um, but it's so we we have a sort of almost a qualification process when we speak to business owners, and we're trying to we we kind of I mean obviously their business is is um, a business idea is important. Like don't get me wrong, but actually it's the person behind the business which it, it makes the difference. Um, are they willing to be challenged on their their way of thinking? Um, that's quite important. Are they willing to try out new ideas, but not just like one of the biggest mistakes business owners make is they try and like perfect everything before they put it out into the world for fear of judgment. So if they Guilty. put this thing out there that's not finished, that's not perfect, um, they think that somehow like they're not going to get any feedback or if they do get feedback, it will be negative and, and um, it, it, somehow it's going to fail. Um, but you know, there's a great, great book called The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, where he talks about, um, you know, imagine if you spent 12 months like building the perfect product and then put it out into the ether. Um, you know, one, nobody knows about it, so you don't have an audience there, for, you know, to start off with. But the second thing is, you, your, my idea of a product, the perfect product, Bob, is probably quite different to your idea of the perfect product. And if I don't have that feedback from Bob in terms of like what he feels works in my product and what doesn't, how can I improve it? So if you, you know, um, what Eric Reese talks about in the Lean Startup is this process whereby, well, let's see if we can build 80% of the finished article within, you know, in month one. Then we'll put it out into the world. We'll ask for some early adopters to beta test it. So now we're starting to build an audience and have those conversations. They can then feed back to us what's working and what doesn't work and what features they want to see in the next iteration. And if we then iterate like month on month on month, the product are, you know, by the end of month 12 is very different to the product that the business owner would have just built if, if it was based on their own ideology, their own ideas because you've iterated 12 times with all the feedback. And now when we launch that final version, we've got a pre-built audience of people who are now raving fans because we've listened to them. And it's such a powerful concept. So I, I always encourage business owners to, you know, uh, launch and fail and fail fast because you get the feedback, you start those conversations off. People can see as well, like which, which you know, what it is that you're trying to achieve. And then they can be bought into that mission and go on that journey with you. I love that. I think what I would like to talk about next is pricing, because that's something I know you focus on quite often. And I think it is an issue a lot of people have. There's a lot of anxiety and fear around pricing because it's the moment of truth when the price comes out. It's, it's often when a lot of great pitches fail and when a lot of proposals maybe don't do what they could have done for your business because you probably underpriced. I'm curious to hear from you as somebody who spends a lot of time in this space. What are the biggest pricing mistakes you see people making? And I guess what are some hacks or some strategies that they can use to try and mitigate those mistakes that they're making all the time? Yeah, so the the, the, the most common mistake is actually charging what everybody else charges. So, you know, I always recommend people when they're starting up in business to, to go and have a look and, well, not just starting up, but, you know, go and review it regularly. But um, go and look and see what the competition are doing, especially from a pricing perspective. The mistake, however, is um, uh, to assume that, that what that those businesses are doing is the correct way to price the business. So, uh, or correct way to price their products or services. So the reason for this is like, you know, you could have a whole load of people who are charging a specific price, but imagine you've got, I don't know, five people selling websites. And so Bob's looking at Dave, Dave's looking at John, John's looking at Rachel, Rachel Rachel's looking at Susan, and Susan's looking at Bob. Well, which one of those five people is an expert in pricing? The reality is probably none of them are. They've all just kind of winged it. Um, 
so the other thing as well is that you know what Dave's charging he may be operating his business at a loss because he wants to undercut the others in order to get business in so why would we copy a business model that is fundamentally flawed and losing money it just wouldn't work you know eventually we're going to fail as well so um, a, a better way to look at it is actually when you do go and look at your comp your competitors look at look at the cheapest look at all those in the middle but also you know there's one business out there in your niche who is the most expensive okay and the likelihood is that that one who is in the, is the most expensive has probably got more google reviews maybe they've been around for longer maybe they've collected more video testimonials but the the the, the clue and we always hear we've got to look out for clues um you've know, got to be detectives in the business world to work out what works and what doesn't the clue is that they're the most expensive and yet they're still getting clients so that means there's an opportunity, and you, you alluded to this um, in something you said earlier on. If somebody else is already out there doing it, the likelihood is that you probably could too. But the reality is, like most people when it comes to pricing, they, they don't want to, they may choose to be the cheapest to undercut people, very quickly realize that that's not serving them because they're not making enough money. So they, they, And they also don't want to be perceived as the cheapest in the market because that's also not good positioning. But they also don't want to be seen as the most expensive because they believe, and this is down to beliefs and confidence and mindset at this point, they believe that if they're the most expensive, nobody's going to buy from them. Um, but as we've said, there's somebody who's out there who's the most expensive and they're getting clients, so the proof is in the pudding. So they kind of settle in the middle and then, again, they're scratching their heads each month going, well, why aren't I earning the money which I'm worth? So that's, that's the first most common pricing mistake. The second most common pricing mistake which people make is um, around how they actually charge. This is more so um, uh, relevant to service-based businesses. So graphic designers, web designers, consultants, freelancers, those sorts of businesses. So charging time for money, hourly rates and day rates. Now, there's all sorts of different directions I could go with this, Bob. This is a topic I can talk about like all day long. Um, but here's here's a really clear example of how time for money is fundamentally flawed okay now if you took I don't, uh, I'm using web designers as an example because I used to run a, a web design business for 12 years before I started coaching and people wanted access to me as a, you know to learn more about this productization process and pricing if you took two web designers and they're both charging 50 pounds an hour because they don't know what Robin knows about pricing but you've got one person, you know, on, on the one hand, who has just started out in web design, maybe they're, they're not particularly efficient, you know, working very quickly. They don't get great results because they don't know all of the sort of the, the tips and tricks and hacks in order to get, you know, your website optimized and all that, that good stuff. Their design's not fantastic, but they're charging £50 an hour and away they off they go, they design the website. Then on the other hand, you've got this other person who's been in the industry for 20 years, builds websites because they're super fast, doesn't know what Robin knows about pricing, so they're still charging £50 out. They get amazing results and their sites look brilliant. Well, all of a sudden, you've got this, this beginner, let's say they've got this beginner web designer who's charging £50 now and it takes him 30 hours to build a website, so he's getting paid £1,500 for it. Con and then on the flip side of that, you've got the pro does it super fast and gets amazing results but does it in 10 hours. Like He's getting paid a third of the price for doing a much better job. It, it just doesn't make sense. It, like It's just baffling. So, um, you know, and the, the way to overcome this, um, Bob, is then this is about the value proposition. So this is when we get into um, how, do, how do you actually go about articulating your value so we, we can elevate the position of this, you know, this veteran web designer who's been at it for 20 years. Well, one, he's got to believe in his worth. He's got to be able to stand there confidently and say, listen, I'm really good at what I do. The second thing is we can then start to introduce something like a guarantee, okay? 
Now nothing, I'm gonna caveat this, nothing in life is guaranteed, but what we do offer is something called a, a, per, a perceived value guarantee. So this, this pro, this veteran who's been, been doing it for 20 years, if he can stand there and say, listen, I build amazing websites, I'm pretty certain that you know, if I build this website within the next 30 days, it will be generating 15 to 20 new leads a month for your business. And that's gonna add 20K to the top line of, you know, you know, depending on whatever your products are worth. If we're not generating that number of leads within 30 days, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you your money back and I'll pay you a thousand pounds for wasting your time. So the value proposition is like, so it's really powerful when you start to hear that. Now, if we got into pricing and the pro says, well, actually the price of my website says 10K. Right, so he's like eight to ten times the price of the the guy who's just starting out, but he's got this really cast iron solid guarantee. I'm that confident in my ability to get you results. You know, fifteen to twenty leads per month, which is going to grow your business. And if I can't do that, I'll give you your money back and pay you some extra money on top. Which one would you choose? You'd probably be oh, okay. Well, this guy's charging a lot more, but he's got the guarantee on it. Versus this guy is like, well, I haven't built very many websites. Like <laughs> that's his value proposition. So that's the second mistake, um, is around charging time for money, but, and hopefully I've given you an example there of how to kind of articulate the value better. And the, th the th third mistake, and this is the final one, Bob, and then I'll throw it back over to you, um, is around discounting. So the, the mistake is discounting the core product, okay, that sits at the heart of your business. Um, so most people, they'll, they'll offer discounts. So if you were to take, say, a personal trainer, for example, uh, you buy one session and it's £80, but if you buy a block of eight sessions, they reduce their price down to £60 a session, okay? So Because somebody's buying a block of products. Really common. And and you, everybody knows a business that's done this. We've probably bought from businesses that do this. And I, I do believe in rewarding loyalty, and there's other ways to reward loyalty. However, if somebody comes for eight sessions versus just buying one session, the likelihood is they're going to get a much better result or outcome. So why all of a sudden do they have to pay, does the client pay less for getting a better result? Again, when you, when you put it like that, it just doesn't make sense. So we, I never discount a core product, and there's also maths behind this. So the Chartered Institute of Management Accountants here in the UK did a study on this. For, for the average business, and this varies depending on what gross profit your, your business is um, sort of putting out. For the average business though, if you discount by just 10%, you have to sell 25% more of exactly the same thing in order to make the same net profit, mm. okay? And that's quite stark. Most people assume that, oh, if I do a 10% discount, I've only got to make 10% more sales, right, to make the same money. But no, as the money falls down through your profit and loss account, it like the costs compound. So it, it actually, you have to get, like imagine, imagine all of a sudden having to put 25% more effort into your business just to make the same money. It, again, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So discounting like massively erodes profitability. There's a big however, and then, I'll, then I'll, I'll finish in about 20 seconds. So the however is you can put out things called attraction offers. So if you have like a one-time thing, which widget, which somebody can buy, which gets them through the door, discount that. It, it, some people, you'll have heard it called a loss leader, an attraction offer. There's all sorts of different names for these things. Lead magnets, for example, paid lead magnets. But give it away, give it away at a discount or whatever, but to get people through the door. Because then once you've built up the know, like, and trust, and, and th this person wants to work with you, then now they're paying for their core product, which is where the customer lifetime value is built. 
So hope, hopefully that makes sense. Sorry, there's a bit of a, a diatribe of those three most common mistakes, Bob, but hopefully that's, that's going to be helpful to somebody who's just starting out or already in business. No, that was super helpful. I think anybody should have got some value from that. Um, I think what's particularly interesting around the guarantee side of things is it sounds terrifying. I mean, can you imagine building a 10 grand website and then saying if it doesn't guarantee 15 leads a month, if I can't deliver you 15, I'm going to give you your money back. As somebody similar to you ran a web design business for nearly 20 years, that's a terrifying idea. But what it does mean is you have to pick your clients carefully. You can't pick clients that you know are going to lose. And then the other side of that is you offer a guarantee like that and you pick your clients carefully, word will get around that you back winners and the word of mouth will start to spread. Your clients will do the marketing for you and you will importantly start to attract the right clients. That's some very interesting psychology there. It's not something you could necessarily do overnight because if you are networking in the wrong places, if you are speaking to the wrong people, if you aren't being fearless in your own marketing if you're not setting this beacon and attracting the right people then that guarantee will kill you that's it and you if um I, I call it having skin in the game but essentially when you when you build a product from a service okay so that productization process there's kind of three things which you need to really heavily um sort of focus on three simple questions the first one is who do i love working with the second one is who do i get the, the best results you know, um, in, in with with my products or services, and then consequently to that, when you start to get into the mechanics of products, it's it's going to be around uh, sort of defining over what time period and for a fixed fee. And if you can get those three things sort of working in harmony, like most people when they think about like avatars or ideal clients or your niche, they think about marketing, they think about a market niche, but actually this is all about understanding your superpower. What is your product niche? So you can you need to be you need to define both of those and have like a vertical, like a, a really specific, you know, idea of who is my ideal client, right? I'm only going to work with coaches. And what is my product? Well, my product is teaching them on how to charge more. Okay. And, and occasionally, like, you, I, I know when I, when I fall down myself, it's because I've deviated from that. I've maybe taken on a client who doesn't fit that ideal sort of client avatar, who maybe doesn't want to be challenged, doesn't understand what mindset it needs, they need to sort of start to um, shift into in order to kind of create that success. Or maybe maybe actually, I, rather than sticking with pricing, I start to talk about marketing or something like a different area. So the, the product niche and the, and the market niche need, both need to work together. Uh, I think that like you've alluded to, the, the businesses which really s suffer and struggle are the ones who are like all things to all men. So not, not only are they just serving all of this, like SME, right? This is, this is a massive bugbear, Bob. And uh, it's always, it's always gets me, right? When I ask people like, who's your ideal client? They say SMEs, right? Small, medium enterprises. Now here in the UK, we have 6 million businesses registered. Okay. Um, Bob, ask me how many of those are large businesses? Very, very few. It's like 5%. It, it, less than that. 30,000 of those are considered large businesses. 
Okay, so it's less than 5% of them, right? So a, a large business in the UK is considered 250 or more employees. Okay, so, you know, there, there are a lot of businesses which fit in that 10 to 250 employee businesses, which I would consider to be sort of mid-sized. But basically, SME is not a niche. It's everybody. It's every business. Hmm. Okay, and you, so you need to be, I always, I always laugh and tell people the story and then they're like, oh, right, I get it now. So then you have to start to really sort of nail it down. The other mistake people make as well, like from, from a market niche perspective, is um, they'll focus very heavily on demographics and psychographics, okay? So, which are helpful to a point. So, that we'll have this idea of this, um, you know, this remarkable entrepreneur called Bob, who is, you know, in his, I think you're in your 40s, aren't you, Bob? Happy who age. runs a podcast. So, th- those are all psychographics <laughs> and demographics, okay? Yeah. But actually you know what we want is something which makes bob really stand out as an avatar so now we need a a really specific niche and typically this tends to be something like industry so it might be um uh, people like bob who run a podcast in the entrepreneurship category on 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 itunes so it's like super 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 specific um because then there's probably only like you know 50 or 100 other bobs out there that we can then start to have conversations with. Um, so you, you need to kind of really dial it into, you know, that that specific sort of industry sector that you want to work in or work within as well. Um, and yeah, you, 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 and again, that's, that's about being fearless because most people go, whoa, all of a sudden I've like, there's 350,000 bobs that I can't work with. Uh, you know, I'm cutting out a massive chunk of the marketplace. Yeah, but the, the reality is like, if I, if I um, walk into a room and say, hey, I'm, you know, room of 100 people and I stand up at the front and say, listen, uh, I'm looking to connect with somebody who runs a personal brand entrepreneur show as a podcast. Like, there's only one person that's going to stand up. You, when I say that, it feels like I'm talking to Bob. And that's the bit of branding and messaging that people just don't get and they have to get over themselves. And actually, what's interesting is really this brings it full circle because if you are somebody who's accustomed to building a business through local networking that cutting out a large number of people and being that specific is going to be terrifying because you have a limited catchment area to work with which is why sort of leveling up online playing a bigger game building your personal brand being super visible and really trying to reach into people's lives very differently will allow you to access those people in a way that other people just couldn't. I think there are 7 billion people on the planet, but we're so used to thinking about our little local catchment area that we forget that these days nobody cares where you are, especially after this pandemic. People are so accustomed to working with people online, it's become normal that if you will sort of get over the anxieties in particular that you might have about showing up online because it's so alien, because it does ask you to be different. There's a whole world available to you. And it kind of brings me to where I wanted to go next, which is your books. You've written Take Your Shot. You've also written Online Business Startup, which I think is very relevant in this conversation. Whenever I have an author on the show, I'm curious to ask them, because for a lot of people, writing a book it does look like a bridge too far. It's something they can't comprehend doing. So I'm, I have to ask you, what was the process of producing those books like for you? Oh, great question. Um, I have a very unique process. Before I say that though, like most people in business, um, they, 
believe it or not, they've probably already written a book and they don't realise it. So we're all encouraged in um, sort of 21st century sort of marketing to be writing blog articles, posting stuff up onto uh, LinkedIn and all of the different social media channels. We're all encouraged to to be producing videos for YouTube and, and, and again on Instagram and things like that. We're all encouraged to um, either be on podcasts or host a podcast ourselves. And all of that is good quality content that could be um, essentially repurposed into a book. The, so now coming to my process. So for online business startup, I actually um, I, I did a, a, a business program myself. And there's a part of that um, this is several years ago now. Part of that was um, uh, around publishing a book. And we, got, we were given a challenge to write 30,000 words in 30 days. And mm. the way I looked at it was, well, that's, that's 30,000 words in 30 days. That's 1,000 words a day. I, I had a little insight. I um, I did a, I, I just thought, because I, I hate sitting in front of like a Word doc and just typing stuff up. I love talking, as you can probably gather, Bob. So I so I thought, oh, well, I'll just record my introduction into my phone. And I discovered a little app called Rev.com, which is a, it's a human transcription service. There are, there's machine transcription service, like AI tools, which will transcribe stuff for you. But they're, I've only ever found them to be sort of 70, 80% accurate. Um, whereas Rev.com, it costs a little bit more, but it's it's actual human transcription, so it's near enough, bang on, you know, verbatim, word for word, um, and very accurate, you know, even even without all the typos and things. But ten minutes worth of audio is um, most people speak at about 100 to 120 words a minute. So ten minutes worth of audio, um, once it's been transcribed and edited, is worth about a thousand words. So I was like, great. So if I if I have 30 chapters. And there were three sections in the book. So I was doing, you know, 10 chapters in each section. And each chapter was going to be a 1,000 words. Uh, I'd pick the topic, have five bullet points. And then on my when I had an office in town, on my drive into work, I would I would um, just dictate my the chapter and those five bullets, two minutes on each one, on my drive into the office, which was only about 10 or 15 minutes. Set, fire it off to Rev.com. By lunchtime, I'd have the transcription back, which I would then edit. And, and that would then go into the draft. And I did that repeat for 30 days, pretty much. Um, and so that's where online business startup came from. And it's actually the same methodology, same technique I used to um, for Take Your Shot, albeit Take Your Shot is a slightly different book because it's told as a story. So there was a lot more thought process which had to go into that. And the, the actual narrating, narrating part of it, it was a bit clunky because there was lots of mistakes, pauses for me to think and various things like that. But yeah, third, it, was, it, was, it was simply that, 30 chapters, 30 sets of 10 minutes each day, send it off to rev.com, edit it, and there's your first draft. Most people, though, like I said, have got podcast interviews, videos, blog articles, things like that. They can, you could, with a bit of thought, just pull all of those, you know, all of that content just into a draft and actually probably got a book or two already written for most people. Ah, mm. oh, the wheels are turning. Now, the other question I need to ask is, okay, the books are written what most people are hopefully thinking is what impact has that had on your business what's the fruit of that been for you yeah i mean the, the, so online business startup was um that was my first book and that came out in 2014 or 2015 so that's that sold 15,000 copies um that was back in the days though when i was still running the web design business so it's for a slightly different audience but um the best thing about that was it opened doors um, podcast hosts, uh, speaking opportunities, speaker organizers, event organizers, they, they love people with books because they generally come with, you know, uh, uh, offerings for the gift bag and things like that. Um, and also it demonstrate, you know, is it any wonder that the word author appears in the word authority? Like a book does present you as an authority in your niche. Um, I, I, 
uh, my first set of 30 um, YouTube videos as well were also pulled from that content. So again, that launched me into another space, another channel. Um, so it kind of just amplifies the message which you're trying to put out. And so that was great from a, a personal branding perspective. And then with, again, with Take Your Shot, I was slightly more strategic with that book because one of the bits of feedback I got with Online Business Startup was it's, it's kind of more of a dry how-to book and it's, it ended up being 55,000 words, so it's, it's quite lengthy. And people were saying that it's great, but I had to kind of chunk it down and read it kind of piecemeal in the same way as I had to write it, chunk it down. So I want Take Your Shot, I was much more commercial. I wanted a book that was sub 100 pages that you could read in a couple of hours in one sitting that had five really strong salient like takeaways from it around goal setting, productization and pricing that people could put into their business like today and see the results, you know, tomorrow. And I also did it as a story because I, I, I love a good story. I like getting involved in the characters in it. So actually it ended up being a, a, like a fable, if you like, a, a parable about um, one of my early coaching clients who was this golf pro called Russ. And I won't give all of the spoiler alerts, but basically it takes you on his journey of transformation. He meets a coach, he gets given these five lessons and then, you know, lo and behold, he, he starts to kind of, his business transforms, his life transforms. And the one piece of um, feedback, which I love about Take Your Shot is I could, everybody tells me I could really empathize with the character like Russ. That's how I feel in my business. And you know that you've got a good hook when that happens. And for me, it's like, I, I just want to spread the word. Like I, I, I give so many copies of that book away for free because I just, I know how impactful it is. And I know that business owners need help. So yes, it's, it's been great. It's, it's one of the best things I've ever done is getting into writing books. Yeah, it's something I think should be on a lot of people's radar because like you said, I mean, we're in the, this is the personal brand entrepreneur show. And a book really is the one thing that will seal your authority and every book is helpful for someone and I think what's more important than the prose and the writing style and the literary element is the information that you're transmitting it might be a literary failure in terms of it's not very well written but if the information is great and it can change someone's life then there is a place for it and I think this is the thing is in business books they don't need to be incredibly well written they need to contain incredibly good information and if you're good at what you do and you've developed your own way of doing it you have a framework and a framework in a book for the right person is golden and honestly how many people do we need to impact with a book in order to have a fantastic business the truth is not very many certainly not 15,000 and no I tell you what it's going to sound terribly cliched Bob but um I and I, I'm going to say it anyway but I always tell people I I I didn't write online business startup online business startup wrote me it it was a process that pulled out all of this information, this story that I wanted to sort of get out there um, into the world, and it and it, but it made me do it in a very organised fashion, and and then then immediately it gave me the confidence. Ah, I I because I, up to that point I'd run this business for twelve years and um, the, the marketing business for twelve years, and I hadn't really kind of looked internally at my my own levels of confidence and self belief and mindset and things like that. But actually, in writing the book, it's like ah. I can do it. I've got this. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, I can educate people and be a leader, a thought leader and, and things like that. So yeah, I always say to people, the book wrote me, I didn't write it. 
Um, yeah. and, it, and it unlocked Pandora's box now because I think I'm on my coming. I'm, well, I'm in the process of writing my seventh book now, believe it or not. Um, and it, but this one is going to be. This is the book just on pricing. So it's everything I've learned over the last five years about money mindset, pricing, and things like that. Very exciting. It's going to be the self-named fearless business um, book, basically. So um, you know, just again to help amplify the the, the 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 sort of the brand which we've created around the coaching practice, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. I didn't care. Actually, I've got a bit of, I know we're running short of time here now, but um, uh, I heard a story recently of a guy, um, a friend of mine, one of his buddies for years had been saying, I want to write a book, I want to write a book. And my mate kept on checking in with him. Well, have you started the book yet? Have you written a book? And this guy is like super bright, like so, so, so bright, had all these amazing ideas. Very sadly, he passed away last year um, because of COVID. And um, he hadn't written the book. And it's just, it, it obviously sad for obvious reasons because, you know, I passed away, but he's gone and all of the ideas have gone with him. And that, that I kind of think there's an element of it, you know, in a, in a way, I don't know, selfish is the wrong word. It's really harsh, but it's kind of like, I think if you have an idea burning inside you, we need to hear that. Like, it's selfish if you keep hold of that idea and don't share it with people in something like a book. Yeah, it is a strange form of immortality. And that's my legacy. I was listening to something about, like, um, on, you know, some people talking about legacies on a, on Clubhouse this morning, and and um, I was thinking, yeah, do you know what? I'm, I, I, I may not, you know, we can we can leave a bit of wealth for our, for our family and things like that. But actually, if if you leave something like a book, it's going to stand the test of time. It's always going to have been written. It will always be there. And it, you know, for a while, it hopefully it will generate some royalties for my family as well. You know, after I've gone, but people can look back at that and go, oh, daddy wrote a book, granddad wrote a book, my great-grandfather was an author and he wrote these amazing business books. So I guess I'm quite happy to run a little longer because I want to speak about how clients actually engage with you, what your process is for actually delivering your value to the world from a very practical perspective, business to business. So what does engaging with your business actually look like? Yeah, so I mean, we, I, I, I believe in making an impact in community, and sometimes that means doing stuff for free. I know I'm the pricing guy, but actually, you know, some, sometimes not everybody can, can, certainly in the start, can afford. I, I think business knowledge is something that everybody should have access to. So, we, we do um, with all of our clients. Everybody gets a free copy of Take Your Shot up front. You know, the, um, the, the paperback um, if they're based here in the UK, and um, sometimes further afield around the world as well. Um, we do a free 30-minute diagnostic call where we actually just explore your 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 existing offer for your business. You know, we typically work with coaches, consultants, and freelancers, so people in that time for money space service client businesses. But uh, I will always have a chat with other business owners as well because I want to help other people. And then, yeah, in terms of the program, so we we focus very heavily on on that offer articulation. Like, what is it that you actually sell? How do you articulate the value of that offer? Um, how do you attract you know clients in and make sure qualify them and make sure they're a good fit for your business we go through that whole sort of productization piece uh, we explore pricing and where your money mindset is at and and that's a really fun process because it can actually happen very quickly in as little as sort of four to six weeks you can start to get the mindset shifts required to go through the gears pricing wise and we, we had a client who came into the program who who literally got a return on their investment with us within five days because they joined, they got onto one of our weekly group coaching calls, had a, a mindset shift around how they priced their product and they had two pitches. Our weekly call is one of our weekly calls on the Wednesday. They pitched a client, a client on the Thursday and another client on the Friday. Both ended up saying yes at double the price that they previously would have pitched it at on the Monday. 
So, you know, they got they got a return on investment thus within five days, which is remarkable. I mean, that's that's kind of like abnormal in terms of like how long it takes. Typically, it's about three to six months worth of kind of just going through the gears, learning the foundational stuff with fearless business and then um, starting to apply it with practical, like actually putting it out into the world. Because we can make a lot of assumptions around pricing, especially, oh, if I put my prices up, nobody will pay for it. That's an assumption and it's based on a core belief we've got. The only way we ever know for sure is if we go out and pitch 10 people at a higher price point and get some data back. Um, and typically that takes about four to six weeks. And then the final part of it is actually around sales. And this is like probably where most people go, oh, sales trainer. No, we don't do sales training. What we do is we just do sales practice. We do role plays on the weekly calls. And it is a lot of fun. We normally have, you know, lots of laughter and giggles because of the way we, we handle those those sales role plays. And there's a serious side to it as well, because I believe as well, like a lot of people give you this information as business coaches and they can't, it's like a social hand grenade. They pull out the pin and throw you into these like with prospective clients. Whereas I'm like, no, no, let's practice the sales conversation in a really safe like environment on a group coaching call so that you can hear how I handle things like objections and articulate the value of your offer back to you. So I always become the client. They become like one of their slightly tricky clients. <laughs> um, and it, it's just really good fun. And then, and then the other thing as well, and this is important, you don't need a coach for this. I'd encourage anybody, like in the world we live in today, most of us are doing business via Zoom. There's an option in Zoom to auto record all of your calls. I would encourage you to record all of your sales calls and periodically listen back to one or two of them. Because one of the things I've noticed business owners, when they're really in the zone, having that pointy conversation with somebody, their, their, their field of view, their focus narrows, okay? And they miss clues around asking the right sorts of qualification questions. If somebody raises an objection early about price, did they pick up on it? you know, even down to body language and stuff like that. When you're in, in the zone, you don't spot those things if you're not trained uh, to do it. So what I always encourage people to do is record your sales conversations and then watch them back or listen back to them afterwards. Because again, like Inspector Cluedo, you'd be like, oh gosh, I can't, I can't believe I said that. Or oh, I didn't pick <laughs> up on that. Or, oh, isn't it interesting when I told them this, their body language shifted. Um, all the stuff which in the moment you'd normally just miss. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's quite. I like to think it's quite different to a lot of the coaching programs out there. It certainly sounds like it. I certainly I'm I'm intrigued. Robin, if anybody wants to connect with you, which is your favourite social media profile, um, platform, and how would you prefer people to contact you? Yeah, the best bet is to jump onto um, probably Instagram, and uh, my tag for that is Robin M for Mark Waits. Um, and also, um, like, do go and grab a copy of Take Your Shot as well. So if you go to the fearless.biz website forward slash TYS for Take Your Shot or hit the resources tab, you can go and grab a free copy of the book as well uh, and start your fearless business journey. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And Robin, I need to end with the question every guest has to answer, and that's what's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago? So <laughs> that's, that's such a good question. So, so for me, so I, I, um, it's a poignant story to this, but I'm, I'm, I'll keep it brief. Um, in 2016, I had a bit of a, um, a sort of a breakdown with, uh, in, in running the agency. It was busy. It was frenetic. I had a team of four people who were slightly dysfunctional. Anyway, I, I ended up giving up the business. I did sell it for a modest, modest sum. And it, it was enough for me to start the, um, start the coaching practice off. Uh, but with hindsight now, looking back and what I know now about business, what I've learned about business and business coaching over the last five years, I actually wish that I'd hung on to that business. Um, 
And uh, so my point here is about um, at the time I thought I was a business doer and I couldn't see a way out of the business unless I was out of the business, um, but ha like completely exited it. Um, whereas actually now with a business owner hat on and, um, you know, the investor and wealth builder sort of mindset, which I've learned over the last few years, I'd have actually kept that business and put somebody else in it to run it. And I think it would have been a blinding success. But hey, that's the benefit of hindsight. Um, and I share that story just to, as a word of caution, if anybody's thinking about like giving up their business, there is always a way. It's just that right now you're probably too ingrained in the business. You need to find a way to kind of pull yourself out of that and work on the business, not in it. That's a great answer. Robin Waite, thank you so much for your time. You've been a great guest. It's been a lot of fun. That's my pleasure, Bob. Really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. Also connect with me wherever you hang out. You'll find me on all the social platforms at Bob Gentle. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would make my day. And if you shared the show with a friend, you would literally make my golden list. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks to you for listening and I'll see you next week.